Hello, welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer, introducing the new podcast, which is the place for moms to find encouragement, hope, and inspiration, where we're supporting moms in the trenches of motherhood. You will receive practical tips and strategies to address the developmental needs of your children with a positive parenting perspective in mind. Here at Moms Changing the World, we are moms on the journey of changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. to some degree, what we do is we remind people of power they already possess. Mm-hmm. That may be power at the ballot box. Mm-hmm. So they're dealing with elected officials that they have the power to move in and out of their spots, of their leadership roles. Sometimes we remind them of the power of the dollar that they have, that they can, mm-hmm. where they spend their money and don't spend their money is a really important part of their power. And also that so many of our community leaders lean on public opinion. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we've let a a distorted version of what public opinion is get out into the world. And it's our job as individuals to band together and step back out and say, no, that's not what we really feel. That's not what we really want. Whether it be teachers bringing guns, carrying guns in schools or gun control laws in general, right? Background checks. That's the area, especially where the narrative that has been lifted by paid interest is actually Mm -hmm. really, really different from what citizens, voters, residents, parents Mm. actually want. Hello, welcome back to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer. So excited to be here again with a special guest that I'll be featuring today. And I've been looking forward to, you know, sharing this interview with you for, for a long time now, because one of the things about, you know, marriage that I was reflecting on that's, that's really special is that not only are you marrying, you know, the love of your life, but you also get to expand your family through their family. And so over the years, I've gained the, I've gained, you know, sisters, brothers, uncles, aunts, and cousins. And, you know, I uh, love to share family, you know, interviews here because I'm surrounded by, I feel, moms who are changing the world in their own special ways. And so Ayana Watkins is no different. You, if you've been a listener for a while of season one, one of my first episodes is of my mom. So if you haven't, you know, listened back to the beginning, make sure to go back and check those first two episodes out. And I've featured an episode with my cousin through my dad's side. And so that was how I wrapped up season one with episodes 15, uh, 16. So make sure to listen to that. And today I get to do one of the first with a cousin through my husband. So I'm very, very excited to have Ayana Watkins here. I'll read a little bit about her for you before we start the interview. Reverend Ayana Johnson Watkins is a speaker writer, and facilitator focused on building transformative community and nurturing the God-given gifts of individuals and communities. She earned her BA in sociology from Yale University before going on to complete both a Master's of Divinity and a Master's of Arts in Social Service Administration at the University of Chicago. She has been an ordained minister in the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ denomination, since 2004. After graduation, she served as youth pastor at the long-established Park Manor Christian Church on the south side of Chicago, and later lead pastor of the Family of Hope Christian Church in Blue Island, Illinois, a multicultural congregation she founded together with the team. Ayana has also been an active social worker, serving as a community organizer in south side Chicago, a counselor for at-risk youth and mentally ill adults, and an advocate for public aid clients. Before moving to Memphis, she was the director of Community Life at Chicago Theological Seminary, where she worked to foster leadership, to nurture healthy community, and assist students in their spiritual and professional formation. Most recently, she served as director of the Incubate Initiative 
for the National Benevolent Association of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, supporting and fostering the creation of new health and social service ministry nonprofits, which is the role I knew her in as I was first getting to know her. This education and experience has equipped Ayana to speak, teach, and write on topics including leadership, faith practice, community organizing, and domestic violence. Reverend Ayana lives in Memphis with her husband and daughters, and she has been involved with Micah since 2016, and she is thrilled to serve as Micah's first lead organizer. Micah stands for Memphis Interfaith Coalition for Action and Hope. Welcome, Ayana. So glad to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. (laughs) Yes, yes. You know, what's another nice thing is that you're one of the cousins that I've gotten to know, you know, the best and that you had, you know, many reasons and opportunities to come out to where we are in California. So over the years, we, you know, got to know you and your husband, you know, quite well, especially when my children were little and I come up Mm -hmm. upon those pictures and think fondly of those times when we got to see you, you know, usually once or even twice a year. (laughs) And so, and then we also have a Ghana connection. I'll let you tell them about our Ghana overlap. (laughs) Yes. Well, it's funny. I was, as you were talking, I was looking at your face and seeing your oldest daughter's face and I was just like, oh, "Oh, wow. (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it. Because usually I hear that she looks like my husband. (laughs) So I'll take it. (laughs) No, I can see, I see her, I see her face in yours. But I do sympathize. (laughs) (laughs) You well know. It's our husbands that are our cousins. Cousins, that's right. uh, That's what makes the connection. But right, you're right. The Ghana connection is also there. When I was in undergraduate at Yale, I participated in a study abroad program that took me to Ghana for a semester. And so I studied at the University of Ghana at Accra. Well, at Legon. And and the nearest large city was Accra. And so I was there for four, almost five months in 1999, back in the olden days. That's wonderful. Good, good. Well, why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about how you came to be a community organizer? Sure. It really is something that evolved over time. As you talked about earlier, my training is in ministry and social work, which are typically thought about as direct service kinds of jobs, as as direct service kind of work. It's a lot of on the ground, working with individuals, just helping folks with their day-to-day needs in life and you know, if you're particularly blessed, you get to see them into some transformative spaces on their journey, maybe their baptism or the birth of their children or the death of a loved one. And so you get to journey life with people really in both of those professions. What organizing did for me was it gave me a space to ask the questions, why do the people I'm walking with have these needs? Mm. Why am, are we looking at so much poverty? Why can't people get the health care that they need? You know, why am I sitting with a young mother who spent eight hours at the public aid office trying to get help for herself and her family? That eight hours could have been spent as a job, but instead, this is her job. It is a, it's like a full-time job. I'm mm-hmm. um, trying to keep up with the, re- the requirements of getting the aid you really need mm-hmm. in your time of most dire need. So I started asking what, what we now call upstream questions, right? Mm-hmm. In the fable or the analogy of of babies floating down the river and everybody trying to pull them out and save them. Somebody should be going up river to figure out who's putting babies in the water. Yeah. And community organizing gave me a vehicle, a space, a context in which to ask those questions and do that work. It allowed me to take a closer look at the systems that surround us and the ways in which they lead to folks landing in these dire straits, in these terrible situations, whether it be with it, you know, to end up homeless, to lose a job, Mm. Um, to have a children with special needs who can't get the help they need, mm. to have a child or a loved one in the incarceration in the penal system. Mm. And so community organizing was very empowering for me. I discovered it as a clergy person yeah. um, and began to live in, into it. I learned it from, I just talked to a friend about this. I learned it from kids, actually. Wow. Um, well, tell, of youth, t- mm, tell us more. Yeah, a group of youth organizers in Chicago. Now, I worked at the same organization as them before a different program program I worked was preparing people for college, but they were in a program where they were learning community organizing as young people. And one of their culminating actions in one of the years that I was working there was that they, the high school seniors staged a class walkout Mm. um, to protest conditions at the juvenile detention center in Chicago. It was a very big deal. (laughs) 
And and they did that. They led and they said, you know, Reverend Ayani, you can come here and pray or you can come stand right here. And I just did what I was told. But they, they were in charge. <laughs> uh, and so those are really the first organizers that I had sort of up close and personal experience with. And then later on was invited to join a circle of clergy that were involved in community organizing also in Chicago. So when I moved to Memphis, I didn't have a job, but I went looking for where were the places, even as I was looking for a job job, mm-hmm. I went looking for where are the places I can get involved in the community organizing I've come to know and love. Right. And that's, that's how awesome. I landed where I am now. <laughs> that's awesome. And, you know, it, it's always beautiful when children are the ones who who speak up and stand out and who teach us, you know, what it means to to stand up for what you believe in and to, you know, to recognize to recognize because they see with their fresh eyes, you know, with their fresh perspective. And they can sometimes help us who've just kind of just taken it for granted or just that's just the way it is. And we just that's go right. along, you know, go along with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then I know one thing about community organizing is that, you know, people have a voice, right? And mm-hmm. and you, you know, work alongside them to, you know, help bring that voice forward. Can you tell us a little bit about how you do that, you know, in your current role? Sure. And I love how you put it, too, that folks have a voice. We have a voice. And so often we hear from our leaders that they're a voice for the voiceless or that they're trying to lift up the voiceless. Very, very, very few people are voiceless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Uh, mm-hmm. They're physically voiceless. Almost right. all of us have a voice. But in community organizing, it gives us a chance to walk alongside folks and amplify those voices. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to hold a megaphone to their mouth sometimes, mm-hmm. literally, sometimes figuratively. And to really demand that the powers that be in our decision-making structures really listen and hear them out. And to some degree, what we do is we remind people of power they already possess. Mm-hmm. That may be power at the ballot box. Mm-hmm. So they're dealing with elected officials that they have the power to move in and out of their spots, of their leadership mm-hmm. roles. Sometimes we remind them of the power of the dollar that they have, that they can, mm-hmm. where they spend their money and don't spend their money is a really important part of their power. And also that so many of our community leaders lean on public opinion. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we've let a, a distorted version of what public opinion is get out into the world. And it's our job as individuals to band together and step back out and say, no, that's not what we really feel. That's not what we really want. Whether it be teachers bringing guns to, carrying guns in schools or gun control laws in general, right? Background checks. That's the area, especially where the narrative that has been lifted by paid interests is actually mm-hmm. really, really different from what citizens, voters, residents, parents mm-hmm. actually want. Mm-hmm. And so community organizing gives us a chance to walk with folks and bring that out, right? Mm-hmm. Draw that out of mm-hmm. folks, get them in touch with what their own inner interest is and their interest in the, in the context of their communities, what we call self-interest um, mm-hmm. in my field, and really get them in touch with that. And their power to make that interest known and felt and and as an agent for change. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then, you know, what people's interests are so driven often by their faith and by their yes. values. Right. Yes. And so, you know, uh, how do you see that play out? That's exactly right. And the work that I do and the, the way that I was trained in organizing, we actually have a really clear pathway. We call a ladder that where at the top is our faith. You know, we are driven by what we most deeply believe. And for some folks, that's a religious faith. And for others, it's just a core belief that they carry with them as human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, But regardless of where it comes from, there is a core faith that we begin with. And then that faith informs our values. Because of what we believe, what matters? What's important? What do we need to prioritize? And from those values, we tell people, now what you need is the power to enact your values. Mm -hmm. How can you Mm -hmm. make the things that you value real and manifest in the life that we're living together. You know, if we value prioritizing those who've been pushed to the margins, how can we manifest that? And so for us, it's a very clear line between Mm. our faith, our values, and then the power to make those values manifest. Beautiful. Yeah. So, you know, I see you as a mom changing the world, using your voice and the community to make a difference. How do you create balance and find joy in all that you're juggling? You know, yeah. Oh, um, there's <laughs> so much. So some part of me knew you were gonna ask this. And I, I was like, I'm not gonna lie to these people um, and pretend like I have found balance. 
I am constantly searching for balance, constantly yeah. reorienting, mm-hmm. constantly sort of tipping over too far into work or too far into my own feelings and just trying to bring myself back mm-hmm. to center on those very same faith and values we're just talking about, right? What do mm-hmm. I deeply believe about God, about myself, about how I'm made, about who I am and who I'm called to be in the world? What do I want to say I've done at the end of the day, at the end of the year, at the end of my life, mm-hmm. you know, and keep coming back to center? I have good, good, good groups of girlfriends. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I am, uh, you know this already, but I, I have experienced pregnancy loss. And mm-hmm. I have not one, but two <laughs> groups of moms <laughs> that I can lean into who have shared that experience, mm-hmm. some of whom have gone on to have children biologically, others of whom have adopted and others of whom are still waiting to see how that part of their life is going to shape up. But that those groups of girlfriends mean the world. Um, yeah. And they remind me that I'm not out here trying to, that I'm not the only one who can't figure out balance. <laughs> right, right. I think we are all on that journey. Absolutely. And you have your mom tribe, which is amazing. And, you know, that's what I call the community that's building around, you know, this podcast is my mom tribe and kind of our collective mom tribe, because we are all trying to figure this out together, right? I think we sometimes, you know, maybe we, we might find our footing in one season of life or when our children are one age and then they grow up. And or we, you know, change careers or change jobs or, you know, something else happens in our family and we have to refine, you know, that that footing and that balance again. So I definitely feel you <laughs> when it comes to, you yeah. know, figuring. And in our marriages, too, our marriages are also evolving mm-hmm. even as our children are growing. Exactly. You know, so there's just all kinds of pieces that are all in motion. Yeah, mm-hmm. And they're all tied together. Yeah. So speaking of motherhood, did you always want to be a mom? And his motherhood, what you thought it would be. (laughs) It's funny that you asked that. I always wanted to be a mom. I always thought I would be a mom. I never thought I would have the need or desire to have children out of my own body. Mm -hmm. It's a funny thing for some people to hear me say. I was, you know, we have a lot of families, a lot of the nuclear families in my wider extended family have been made complete by adoption. And I just always assumed that would be that would be probably part of my parenthood journey as well. But I did end up, I have two girls that I had from my own body. Yeah. <laughs> and I've seen them and they You've are seen adorable. Them. Oh my goodness. And, I can vouch and, one for of, that. <laughs> and one of them, you know, I was able to receive the assistance of, of fertility, you know, specialists mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, to, to allow that baby to, to come to be. I didn't anticipate that, you know, in in my journey, but it's become a really important part of it to me. And it's important to me that people hear me say that, that I tell that story because it's, it's not, I've learned from my moms, my mom's groups, that it's not helpful, you know, for folks to feel like they're on that journey by themselves. Right. So, but it is also, I was one of those naive people that thought I'll be good at being a mom. I've done so much babysitting. (laughs) Hmm. I know somebody who said that. Um, <laughs> no names. Right. We're insane <laughs> people. I think so. I think so. so. And that, so that was the first, you know, kick in the pants, like, no, ma'am. <laughs> um, it feels very, very different when you hear the child you're babysitting crying. Right. Or the child that came out of your body. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Something different happens in it your happens. chemistry. There's yeah. a different kind of visceral yeah. response. And just the level of responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that there. But also the intimacy is just so much more and different mm-hmm. than I could have imagined. Yeah, there's nothing quite like it. Yeah, yeah. So. Thank you, you know, for bringing up the unique, you know, journeys that we are all on and the unique ways we, you know, we sometimes feel about becoming a mother or the the journey of motherhood. And and that's part of why I like to ask that question, because I think, like you said, people often just assume that everybody, you know, has felt the same way about motherhood or they've come to it in the same way. And so this season, I'm going to be highlighting a few, you know, moms, you know, who became mothers by, you know, kind of foster you know, adopt situations or who, you know, who've been through their own journey of pregnancy loss. So, you know, I think that does complicate the relationship with motherhood, you know, in, in some interesting ways and emotional ways, right? Oh, yeah. But whatever way it is, we got to embrace it. 
because it's our unique journey. It's part of your story. That's it's exactly yeah, part Mm -hmm. of that that voice that we are letting out. So so tell me about how you know you make an impact on children, both inside your home and outside your home. So I spent many several years as a youth minister, and it's so funny to see now the kids that. I was still felt like a child myself, but that I <laughs> right. was ministering to. They're Dude. now adults, right? They're right. grown ups. Sorry, there are children whose hair I braided in church. You know, who has seven children now? Like it's wow. it's a whole, oh, just a whole different universe. <laughs> but I'm I'm thankful for the chance to have been part of their lives at that point, yeah. Um, yeah. because I know and remember the impact of the unrelated adults in my life that I had growing up, Um, what it meant to have trusted adults that you can talk to and share with and unpack with. And I hope that I was able to be that for someone else, for my own kids. It's, I'm not even sure how to describe it, even just to look at them and think, I'm your mom. Like, <laughs> like I know how I feel about my mom. Like the world does right. not exist without my mom. Like there's right. like everything right. is in the context of her. Yeah. And, and so to be that for someone else oh. has been a really interesting experience. And yeah. so I think that I, what I want to pass on to my daughters is, mm-hmm. is sort of a fierce value of themselves that they sort of fiercely understand how special they are, how important they are, and the right that they have to be here and thrive. And what I hope I don't pass on to them is the fears and anxieties, you know, that beset me as an adult, as a mom, as a wife, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those things. I don't want them, you know, when I, about my own body and my health, Mm -hmm. I don't want them to have all that. (laughs) I find myself trying to be really conscious of, you know, what I'm saying about myself, because those are things you remember even more than the things I'm when I'm, you know, explicitly trying to teach them something. Right, right. It brings up the thing, the saying that, you know, so much is caught, not taught, right? Like that our children, you know, are really, mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're recording our voices in their head. And that's the, yes. those are the words and those are the voices that they're going to hear talking, you know, and, and when they're thinking about themselves. So we can and should be as, as intentional as possible when we, you know, are talking with them, but also when we're being with them, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and come come what may, right? Because we're not going to be perfect, so that we can just right. get that off the plate, right? Because there's no such thing as perfect. So you know, it's it's one of those things that we have to, you know, really kind of spend some time going through our own journey, right? Our own healing, our own, mm-hmm. you know, kind of freedom, right? Our own deliverance from some of those childhood baggage or some of those early year you know, impressions so that we, we won't inadvertently, you know, pass it along. So it, it does come, you know, come to, you know, what are we doing to, to work through that and heal? And like you said, you know, be the person that we're supposed to be in this mm-hmm. world with them. Yeah. And then you were also part of a group home. I was, I worked mm-hmm. at a group home in my young adult years. I want to say I was between college and grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really profound because of sort of the deep trauma that some of these children had experienced. Mm. And I was always struck by the fact that children who had been hurt, abused, and traumatized were in the same group home as children who had abused, hurt, and traumatized others. Mm. There was no distinction between them. Mm. And I don't want to make a false one. Like one is better than the other. It's just Mm -hmm. that they come at life and their experience of life is so different. And then we really just group them by age and threw them all in the same room. Mm -hmm. And so that taught me a lot too, about just those cycles of violence and trauma and how violence can sometimes, almost always a violent person has been violated, but the opposite is not always true. Mm -hmm. That violated people don't always go on to be violent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so always giving my kids the room to grow, like the room to heal, the room yeah. to become who they're going to be and to not let whatever they've done or experienced in the past define what that future past was going to be. It was a really, really important. Ex- There's just nothing like a group home, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, even you know when it's run well and when it's not. 
like mm-hmm. to to be in that because and like I just said I, the, the degree to which I take my my mother for granted as foundational in my life and my experience mm-hmm. of the world that is the privilege they were not afforded yeah um yeah and so to to know that that's not you know what is to, to watch a child grow and to see what does it mean to make a path for them forward or to help you know do that at any point sure sure so as we, you know, are recording this and, you know, 2021, you know, there's, there's a lot that's been going on in the world, right? You know, starting with last year and, you know, the pandemic and all of the overflow and outflow of, of things that have happened since then. You know, I'm curious, you know, how you're talking to your children, you know, about race and empathy. And, you know, for those who, you know, can't see you, you can start off with your family's ethnic makeup and then, you know, how you, how you and your husband, you know, talk about and nurture that in your home? Sure. So my husband and I are both African-American and thus so so are both of our biological children. And we have worked hard to make sure that they see themselves reflected in what's surrounding them as much as we have control over it. The books they read, the TV shows they watch, the toys they have, the dolls, the art, that they constantly see their own beauty and value reflected back to them in those images. And that we ha- that they are surrounded with images that are also created by Black people, African-Americans. That's just been really important to us. I, mm-hmm. And it was part of the way I was raised. And so I'm even now reading to my children some of the books my parents read to me in an attempt to, <laughs> for the same thing <laughs> to happen. And so that's just really special to me in just a very intentional way for us, because we, I feel like one of the most valuable things that my parents gave me was a strong and profound value of my own Blackness, mm-hmm. like that my Blackness is an asset mm-hmm. um, and a blessing. And mm-hmm. any narrative in the world that tries to say differently is a mm-hmm false narrative mm-hmm. um and that I don't have to absorb that I don't have to incorporate mm-hmm. that into my reality and I was I mean that I just think that gave me a strength and a foundation that is irreplaceable and my husband and I are on one accord <laughs> to give that to the girl you know that, that that's really important mm-hmm. to us that as they're developing regardless of what or whom they become right that mm-hmm. that they are clear that they are beautifully, fearfully, and wonderfully made. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that that makes a huge, a huge difference. In the pandemic itself, they're so young. So yeah. my oldest is not yet; she's about to be four, and the youngest uh, is still a few months away from being a year old at this point. Obviously, the baby has no idea. <laughs> pandemic is all she knows. <laughs> right. She was born in the pandemic, pandemic baby. Her whole reality. <laughs> And even my three-year-old, to I mean, I've been thankful that they don't understand more of what's mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. And I have not had to explain a lot because their world is still pretty limited. And all they know is they couldn't go to daycare for a few months and mm-hmm. they still have to stay a few weeks, you know, some few feet away from auntie and uncle and grandma. And, you know, they wear a mask, but mm-hmm. uh, I did have a little moment with my older girl, <laughs> older child, we were putting a puzzle together and it was an abstract puzzle. There's something no images on it, but she put one piece in place. She goes, oh, okay, that's coronavirus. And then she went off. <laughs> I was like, she what? named the, the, the abstract like, shape. That's coronavirus? Was, yeah, like, I was like, I couldn't, be, I was like, is, is she painting the shape? Is she using coronavirus as like an adjective? Like, <laughs> beautiful and that's coronavirus I just could not figure it out and I didn't want to make a huge deal out of it because but I wanted to fall out in laughter and tears but it also just reminded me like they're what you say they're catching it even though we're not directly communicating about it a lot we do say you know there's a dangerous germ out there and we're trying to keep each other safe so we keep our distance and we try and put it in toddler terms but even from television and the news and all that she's picking up you know just trying to find a place to put it a little psyche (laughs) that's right yeah. Oh, oh, if it was, was only so there. simple that it was, a, it's a puzzle right. piece that all we right. have to do is find a place for it and then we're good. And coronavirus has its place and we're good. <laughs> and we're good. No, that's great. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Kids say the darndest things. They do. Yeah. 
but it, you know, it's, it's lovely to hear you talk about how, you know, how your parents, you know, passed along to you, just the, the value of, you know, your blackness, your heritage, loving the skin that you're in, the hair, the shape, right? Because it is pretty amazing, you know, to be of African descent. And, and I think, yeah, I mean, you, you put it so well that if any, you know, anybody who tries to say or you know, portray otherwise is wrong. <laughs> and we don't have to, we don't have to follow somebody who's wrong. <laughs> we don't Mm-mm. have to, you know, buy that. <laughs> nope. Yeah. So, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so then when it comes to, you know, kind of the practical day-to-days, you know, snacks and feeding our kids is a big part of our lives, especially when we're home all the time <laughs> and the kitchen and the pantry is just right there. <laughs> so, you know, what are some of, you know, your go-to snacks and meals in your home? So, yeah, some days are better than others, but <laughs> when when the baby girls, when the, when the, when the littles are home for lunch, for example, we will often do peanut butter sandwiches for the big girl. And of course, you know, just little snacky things for the baby between bottles, but the littlest one is allergic to peanuts now. So we're going to have to figure out an adjustment, but we make her peanut butter and what she calls wow sandwiches. So peanut butter and wow. And the wow is Nutella. Now (laughs) the reason (laughs) kids say the darndest things so the reason Nutella is wow is because if you ever watch a Nutella commercial you will hear the catchphrase put some wow in your breakfast which my child took literally (laughs) to say well the name of that chocolate stuff must be wow Wow. so she gets peanut butter and wow sandwiches (laughs) I love it I love it well I have not seen a Nutella commercial but now I know (laughs) now you know now I know but we've been calling it the wrong thing <laughs> all along. All this time. <laughs> oh, so glad she came along to set us right. right. Um, so that's her favorite thing. But she's she's a very, she went from being an eat anything. She'd eat anything from pad thai to hot sauce to, to I mean, she'd eat anything. And then around three years old, she yeah. took a turn. And now she won't eat anything. So, <laughs> so yeah. peanut butter sandwiches, no crust, <laughs> yogurt. <laughs> Apples, no skin. Right, that's right. Well, what we are. you know, developmentally, that's, you know, the twos and threes. That's about, that's kind of a, what we would expect, you know, as kids are kind of at that, you know, point where they are starting to understand, oh, there, there are tastes and textures that I like and prefer. And there's tastes and textures I don't like and prefer. And I have yep. a way of asserting that now. I have some words. <laughs> I have some tears. <laughs> I can get and my I point across. <laughs> I some, yes, I can coordinate my hands. <laughs> So, so what I like to say is that, you know, children do go through a less adventurous, you know, eater phase, right? So I, I try to, you know, limit the, the use of the picky word, right? The P word, because yeah, we just, you know, I think, you know, we all have our preferences and we all have our, you know, some of us are more adventurous, some of us are less and that's, you know, that's, that's life. But if we can kind of continue to expose kids, right, to the mm-hmm. variety that's in our home, especially the healthy options that we want them to lean towards, you know, we eat what we see. And so if we never see mm-hmm. the healthier options, you know, we don't sit down at a table with our parents and see them eating the, the variety of options and, or even, you know, go out or order in, you know, that variety of food, then, then it's harder to gain. So, so mm-hmm. hang in there you know, keep offering (laughs) the healthy variety, right? You know, I think when we were talking before, it sounds like, you know, like the sliced meats and the cheese and the yogurt. Yes. Yes, she will eat that. Yeah, that's great. Last night we had shrimp and pasta and broccoli. It was all Mm -hmm. one dish. Okay. And she separated everything out. (laughs) she, She ate the pasta and the broccoli, but I mean the pasta and the shrimp, but I was very excited. Uh, two out of three yeah I felt like we were winning two out of three wasn't bad and she helped me cook it so she was involved yes that's Uh, another great tip to get in there yeah that's awesome and then do you like to cook kind of the one pot meals as well that's Um, my preference but I do try and mix it up because I know my husband's preference is three separate you know Meat, starch, veggie. <laughs> old school. <laughs> old school. You know how both of our husbands were raised. Yeah. Um, and I am not the chef that either of their mothers are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we don't even try. 
I love a one-pot meal. So jambalaya, you know, spaghetti with meatballs. Yeah. Chili. Chili. Yes. Love a chili. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have, I used to do a quick kind of like a 15 minute jambalaya kind of in a pot or Instapot kind of a deal. But, you know, I have not, you're reminding me that I have not made that lately. And that's a nice one that has a lot of the flavors that everybody, you know, in the home enjoys. So thank you for that reminder. Hey, anytime. Anytime. (laughs) Yes, yes. So, you know, you're in a, a phase of life where you have, you know, little ones and, you know, just was a newborn, now infant. You've got toddler, you know, kind of, you know, preschool age. So what is your best advice, you know, for for new moms or for moms of littles, you know, especially, you know, kind of in this time that we live in? Well, for one, when you're going from one to two, reset your expectations. (laughs) From one child to two child. Just just bring it down a notch. (laughs) Okay. everybody's going to survive. It's essentially the commercial with the, for the diapers where it's like That's the right. first child has That's like right. 85 <laughs> pieces of accoutrement that have to go with them. And the second one just tuck the baby under one arm and a spare diaper under the other. We keep moving. That's right. That's right. That just bring it down. That's right. um, and it's okay. Everybody's going to be yeah, all it's right. okay. It's all right. And in this pandemic time, honestly, these are years that we often miss. Mm -hmm. Um, because Mm -hmm. of daycare and work and the nature of my work is flexible, but it also involves a lot of evenings and weekends. Yeah. When people are available, when the community is available. So when people in the community is available, you want me with the community, you got to do it on their terms. And sometimes that means I'm not home for my own family. Mm -hmm. And what this pandemic has given me is time to just really pay attention and watch my kids grow. I remember a week or two into the, into the shutdown, my husband turns to me and goes, I didn't know she knew so many words. (laughs) I was like, me either. (laughs) But it's just, it's just those moments of like, you're watching your child, like become more and more of a person in front of you. Oh my goodness. And and that's time we don't always get. So this is just pretty precious time, but I would, you know, Mm -hmm. just dial it back, let them make a mess let them fall down. It's all going to be okay. It is. It is. And yeah, my my husband has said the same thing in that, you know, this is, he spent more time with our children, you know, in these, in this year than we ever kind of have, you know, just given that we both work outside the home ever since they were, you know, born. And you're absolutely right. I mean, especially when they're young and like every day is like a new discovery and a new skill and a new milestone. I mean, what a precious time, you know, you're having. And, you know, I wonder, you know, what of that, you know, you might carry forward, right, in, in, in appreciating this and how it might shape your, you know, decisions as you're flexing your work and your life and all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will probably keep taking my children to meetings. Yeah. So yeah. before before <laughs> when out <laughs> right. when outdoors was open um <laughs> I did used to take my elder child to meetings every, every once in a while we were in a sort of a child care bind mm-hmm. and if I wasn't in charge of the meeting then I would take her but even now when I'm doing meetings on zoom I may have the baby mm-hmm. just as a way of letting my husband either do bath time or dinner time or something else with the older child I may have the little and it's okay it's fine people love seeing the baby you know yes she can be distracting (laughs) Uh, sometimes she'll talk through my part of the meeting but we all survive like it's okay and so I actually could see you know and other organizers have told me career organizers have told me like yeah take your kids with you like let them see what you do You'd be shocked, like how much they're absorbing and taking in about what's right and wrong with the world and those are lessons you can't you know, duplicate another way. You yeah. don't get the time back otherwise. Right, right. Okay. And yeah, when especially when they're yeah, babes in arms and little, mm-hmm. all they want to do is to be with you. Like all they want is your closeness. Like, you know? and so to be able to do that with them, like you said, and have mm-hmm. them just be around it and around you and around, you know, what you're passionate about and around all yeah. those words, you know, it's pretty incredible <laughs> what they're going to pick up. <laughs> yes. The other day, 
the big girl said climate change. Like, Where did that come from? Okay, yes, yes, you are officially raising world changers. And so <laughs> we may need to have her on the show. I think you should. I'm sure she had plenty to say. <laughs> That's right. I love it. Oh. I love it. Oh, and then also, you know, it reminds me of simplicity too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we were talking before you were talking about stuff, how much stuff, you know, we get attached to. Yeah. when it comes to our kids and so i think this whole season where you know we we, we realize what's really important and mm-hmm. we don't need a lot of stuff you know especially when they're little mm-hmm. to be engaged and to be to have fun and to play i mean it doesn't take having every newest toy that comes out that's right or yeah watching every every show that's available you know like the, it's really it's really not about the stuff no it's probably about the box the stuff came in, which a million parents have said before me, but that it, it continues to be true. <laughs> so right. From the box, it's fine. <laughs> so good. good. Yes. Oh, and it's so important to laugh. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. I think I see on Facebook when you post what they say, and it's, oh, I, I can guarantee that I am usually laughing and <laughs> rolling on the floor, right? <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, as we're winding down, the theme for the year here is uh, is renewal and to renew. So I'm curious, you know, what, you know, what renewal means to you and, you know, how in the season that things are starting to, you know, recover and, you know, we're starting to kind of move forward in, in things opening up more, you know, what renewal kind of continues to mean for you moving forward. It's a very good question. It feels something like a season of renewal for me personally. Mm-hmm. To, that to some degree is affected by us sort of getting the vaccine and starting to have the hope again of, of going back outside and being with people. But also just a, sort of an inner sense that more has to do with the stage of life that I'm in. Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have probably had all the children I'm going to have. <laughs> from your um, body yes. so from my body yes <laughs> we clarified that <laughs> you know my husband and I are at seven years of marriage I am in a job that I love and I'm challenged by every day yeah. and it's new for me and so there's so many ways in which I'm doing a new thing and moving into a new place in my life and so I, I do feel like I'm in a place where I'm like, I have to reassess. What do I need now? Mm-hmm. Right? What's important now? Mm-hmm. Even thinking about diet and exercise for myself, right? How yeah. important is it that I be a particular size? Like, mm. I'm a grown woman now. Like, I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to go back to my high school body. Like, I can live in this having two kids body. And be just Um, as happy, if not happier. Yeah. (laughs) You know, just sort of settle in. So that's been sort of the season that I'm in Mm -hmm. right now. Just looking back, what do I need now? Who am I now? Mm -hmm. You know, what matters now? Trying to recenter spiritually Mm -hmm. and just re come back to that place, but, but in a new way, right. Mm -hmm. After the miscarriages, I, I just had to, address faith differently, right? I had to come, mm-hmm. but you come back to your faith in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's been a, a process of renewal as well. So, so all of it has just contributed to what, what's ahead of us now? What are we going to need for this leg of the journey? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. I think we need more opportunities to pause and mm-hmm. renew, you know, kind of our, our sense of who we are and what we need and what's important to us. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, couldn't agree more with this being the time. If not now, when? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not now, when? Yeah. Right. And you, you know, touched a little bit about self-care as well. You know, I ask everyone, you know, kind of as we close to talk about, you know, what you do for self-care and kind of what that means for you. Sure. I'm doing my best. <laughs> I'm doing for self-care. That's right. I'm just doing my best. I am like a daily devotional time. 
I think with the kids being little, I'd gotten away from that. Just even finding any time to like breathe and not be needed. Right. right? And my, right. my pastor calls it being free of obligation. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's a hard season to find, but yeah. we're in <laughs> when a you place got the now. littles. Yeah. 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 When you guys like, what? I don't even know what that is, but, but sort of, sort of, snatching it right like out of out of the jaws of time like Mm -hmm. snatching some time for myself you know demanding it declaring it Mm -hmm. um going for a walk so that's the journey in terms of the walk that I'm on now and that you know like I said I have not gotten back to exercising since having this baby and so it's a very big deal for me to take a five minute walk but I just do that yeah you know and come back That's wonderful and I've gotten air or sunshine right mm-hmm. and hopefully you know burned a calorie or two but the, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the main thing is that I went out of doors yeah. <laughs> or yes. I moved my body around and reminded yeah. myself what I could do so yeah all of those things and like <laughs> my friend said the other day and five cookies sometimes you just have to eat five. <laughs> so sometimes I just eat five Sometimes we have we have our five cookie moments. <laughs> and that is self-care in oh, that moment. That's a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where it's at. <laughs> yeah, I, so, yes. I hear you. And I, yeah, even if it's, you know, five minutes of that walk, right? I think that, you know, your body thanks you and your body appreciates mm-hmm. that you, you know, you got out there for, for the five minutes that you mm-hmm. did. And, and then the next time when you go out, you know, maybe a 10 minute you know, will happen because the five minutes was like, okay, that I got that. Right. So even, even, you know, even if all you can do is a one minute to step outside your door, breathe, just stand on the porch. I have done that. Right. Like I don't have time to walk or I don't have the energy or everything hurts. I'm just going to stand on the porch. (laughs) and and let the sun hit me that's right have have some sun therapy you know to to refresh Mm. the body so that's that's important too and and when we were talking before as well you also talked about you know when to talk to the doctor you know yeah could you yeah could you talk a little bit about that aspect of self-care yes and I got this wisdom from some other wise woman in my life I can't remember the conversation now but it was the sense of self-care is also like going to the doctor, seeing the dentist, making sure that you say out loud when something hurts. Like all of those, it's important to do the piece of giving some sleep. It's not all massages and, you know, and long walks on the beach. Like, right. You know, a lot of times it's, I have not been to the dentist in 18 months. I need to make an appointment. And so that's just a really important journey. I have an appointment coming up now. Mm-hmm. Um, with my OB that's still postpartum. I'm nine months postpartum, yeah. but everything still isn't right. Yeah. And it's yeah. really important to pay attention to that because we know, you know, maternal health and mortality yeah. is a thing mm-hmm. um, among us. And and so if we don't demand our care, like literally nobody is going to do it for us. Right. So right. it's really important for us to say, this hurts. This doesn't seem right. I don't think I'm okay. Right. And to yeah. say it in say it and say it until somebody hears you right right and you know i think you you bring up a huge point in that you know sometimes it's life or death you know especially if it's around birth or pregnancy or you know some some of our you know transitions around you know maternity and and even if not uh, you know hormonal changes that's right. right and you know many years later like you know we we have to use our voice and we kind of end where we started, right? In that our voice matters and we have to okay. use it sometimes, you know, and like you said, until somebody responds in a way that feels right. And that makes mm-hmm. us feel like we're addressing, you know, what's going on. So that's a, a great reminder because we often will do it quickly for our children. Yes. And we'll say, because that's what we do, you know, as, as mama yep. bears, right? That's, like right. that's our role. And we, we don't blink an eye when it comes to calling about something that we're not sure about for our kids and getting an appointment or getting whatever, you know, we need. But when it comes to ourselves, you know, are we that quick to make sure that we're okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, are we that, are we that determined, right, to, to advocate for ourselves in the same way mm-hmm. and often put ourselves much lower on the list? but you know, our kids need us to be healthy in order to give as much as we can, you know, to them. So that's, yeah, that's, that's great. And we set that example that we're worth taking care of. 
Exactly. Yeah, we exactly. show them by example. Exactly. From, from the get-go. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Are there any final things as we're you know, concluding here? Maybe, you know, things you've learned about yourself as a mom or, you know, other messages to moms who are listening that you want to, you know, make kind of end with? Hmm. I don't know why it's on my mind, but I read a book with my oldest girl last night called Life Doesn't Frighten Me at All. Hmm. And or I think it's just called Life Doesn't Frighten Me, but the, mm-hmm. the, that's the full phrase. Yeah. Uh, and it is the poem that Maya Angelou wrote. Oh. And it's illustrated with paintings from uh, Jean Basquiat. Oh. Uh, and it's just a really interesting retelling of the poem. But it's just, I mean, it's a grown-up poem. But my child reads it like it was written for her. Um, <laughs> and... <laughs> And I say, life doesn't frighten me. And she goes, at all. And it just, I don't know. <laughs> that did something for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I have yeah. my own struggles and mental health and um, was diagnosed with anxiety disorder some time ago. And I'm getting very good treatment for that. And I'm thankful. Yeah. But that is not something I could have said as a child. Life doesn't yeah. frighten me at all. It's not something yeah. I could have said as an adult. <laughs> but so that my baby yeah. is sitting next to me saying, life doesn't frighten me yeah. at all. Oh. Not at all. Oh. Um, <laughs> is, is just a really powerful affirmation for me. Mm-hmm. And so if there's any advice that I could give that's on my heart right now, It would be to let your little ones teach you, right? There are things that they have not yet forgotten. There are things that they have not yet unlearned and, and, and they have lessons for us. So. Absolutely. Yes. Learn from the littles (laughs) littles. as, as they are able to put things in ways that we, we, we can't anymore, or we've forgotten about, like you said, in the way that only they can. So I love it. Uh, great. So if, you know, moms want to reach out or connect with you or follow up with you, what's the best way to, you know, to find you? Sure. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, Ayana Johnson Watkins, I think is my name there. And you can always direct message me there uh, if you want to connect. And you can also find out more about the work that I do here in Memphis mm-hmm. at www.micamemphis.org. That's M-I-C-A-H. M-E-M-P-H-I-S.org. And so you can find me in either of those places and just am excited to get to connect with folks and anything I can do to bless the community and be part of the community. I'm happy to do it. And I'm thank you. Thank you, Akua, for allowing me to experience this community and be blessed by this conversation. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today. Great. So Ayana, you know, as a a reverend, you know, yourself, I had the chance to see you preach one of the times you came out to California and you did an amazing kind of intercession, kind of a guided, you know, intercession prayer tool that you use. And I often will close my episodes with a guided meditation. And so I thought it might be special to have you lead us in one today, if you wouldn't mind doing that and then, you know, closing us out with prayer. Sure. So... I learned this um, from one of my spiritual mentors and spiritual director, Chris Tenney Britton. And it's a way of praying for people that doesn't have to be bound by your religious tradition. It's widely accessible, regardless of your relationship to the divine, but hopefully it becomes a tool in your toolbox for how another way for for us to enter prayer um, and enter that conversation. And so if you don't mind, we can do it together or while you're listening. But the way that it goes is that you just start to quiet your soul, quiet your mind, and think about anybody or anything in your life and your circle that you want to pray for. Somebody who may be hurting, someone who needs healing, um, someone entering a new phase of life that you want to celebrate and bless as they move forward. Or maybe it's an issue, a justice issue a broken place in the world that you want to lift and set before God. We encourage you to visualize that thing. 
it's a person, you can just get a picture of their face in your mind. Picture how they look, how they sound. If it's a thing or an issue, find an image that helps to represent that issue for you. Maybe a school building or a jail cell, whatever it may be. I just want you to picture that thing. And now I want you to make it the right size to fit in your hand. So in most cases, that will be making it smaller, just small enough that you can fit it in your hands. You can do like I'm doing and cup your hands together as though you're holding a little bit of water or a small pile of something. Just let that image rest there in your hands. And begin to think about what you want for that person. What remedy you may think about for that issue. Right, freedom, openness, wholeness, justice, love, healing. And as that manifests, you begin to really see that. Just lift that up a little bit. Lift up the person you're holding or the thing. And imagine yourself lifting it to God and it being bathed in that divine light. You can see it and you can see and you can feel the warmth of that light hitting the person, bathing them, warming them, healing the broken places in our world. Just let that light bathe them. Think about the divine restoring them or it in whatever way is needed. And then when you're ready, give it to God. Picture yourself, or if you can, physically lift your hands up as though you're lifting it up to the heavens. And when you're ready, let it float away and release your hands. And imagine the divine light just carrying it up closer to the heavens, to that wholeness, to that place of restoration and peace. Trusting in your own heart that you don't have to hold it for always. You don't have to hold it anymore. God's got it now. And all will be well. We thank you, God, for the chance to come before you with whatever's on our hearts, whatever we may have been holding when we entered this space. But now, God, we give these things, these people, these circumstances and issues and realities to you, to you who can hold all things, to you, the giver of light and life, and wholeness, and peace, and shalom. To the one who does all things well, and can make all things well. We lift it to you, we trust you, we rest in you. Now and always. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. for listening to Moms Changing the World with host Akua Walker. The information shared on this show is meant for educational purposes only and not intended as a substitute for medical intervention or professional therapy. All views shared on the show are that of the speakers only and do not represent any institution. 
To be a part of the community, visit www.momschangingtheworld.org. There you'll find ways to connect with and support the moms we interview. Join us next time for more encouragement and support to be a mom changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.